0: Filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In today's episode, we're delighted to bring you the second in our three-part series dedicated to workplace investigations. Last week, we spoke about conducting a workplace investigation, but in today's episode, we're taking a closer look at the topic of reviewing the evidence and to talk about this topic today. We're delighted to be joined again by Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Great, Owen. Thanks. How are you? All good. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary?
2: I'm great. Thanks, Owen. How are you, keeping?
1: Good. Pretty stuff. excited to learn more about this, this key part of workplace investigations. Um, So we kick off with yourself, Mary, first. So I suppose reviewing the evidence is obviously a key part of workplace investigations. So what are some of the key things to kind of consider when reviewing the evidence?
2: This happens to be one of my favourite topics, and anybody who works with me um, knows that I'm a bit of a stickler when it comes to evidence and how it should actually be handled and treated uh, as part of the investigation process. So, Remember uh, from our last podcast, we talked about the importance of the interview and the documentation or the photographs or CCTV evidence, whatever your evidence actually is. Um, At the end of the investigation process, when all the interviews are concluded, when you've gathered all the evidence that you're going to consider, there comes a time when you have to sit down. And look at it all and put it into a report. And that sounds really easy, but it actually isn't. And so, top tips for when you're looking at the evidence, it's really important that you do a number of things. So, firstly, consider the evidence that supports the allegations. And then you've got to look at the evidence that undermines the allegations objectively analyze each piece of evidence and look at it and see what does it actually reveal about the situation that you're investigating if you have any doubts about the credibility of witnesses you've got to really think about that and think why Why do I have doubts about something that somebody has told me versus what somebody else has told me in the investigation process? But you've got to consider whether or not you have doubts. And if you do have doubts, what are they about? What was it about the evidence or the person or the situation that caused you to have a concern? You've got to think about whether the evidence is supported or contradicted by other evidence. And while we talk a lot about uh, interviews, so interviews, let's say in a bullying case, for a, a example, um interviews with the complainant, the respondent and witnesses, that's really important evidence. But you will also probably be looking at other forms of evidence, too. And that might be CCTV evidence. It might be photographs. It might be um, performance review documentation. It might be emails. It might be text messages. It might be social media postings. It could be absolutely anything. But you've got to look at how all that evidence ties together. and, you know, when you're looking at that evidence, does it suggest to you that there's anything further you should collect? Uh, and again, that's something that you should be doing all the way through. After each interview that you conduct, you read through the notes or the transcript of the interview uh, with a view to seeing what else do I need to collect has somebody mentioned something here that I should pursue um, with the company with another individual is there documentation that I can get is there footage I can get are there photographs I can get so again it's what else should I collect as you're going through it but also At um, the point when you're coming to writing the report, you're you're going to group your evidence together. So you're actually able to write the report and document what you found during the investigation process. Um, And then you're going to think about the consistency, the reliability and the credibility of each Party and the relationships that might exist between people. When I say relationships, I mean working relationships, but I also like to establish whether there are friendships or romantic relationships, past or present, um, between individuals, or if there has been a difficult working relationship in the past, or maybe other complaints or something like that. Um, and then you've got to think about balance was the behavior you were asked to investigate more likely to have occurred than not to have occurred? You've got to think about the impact on the complainant, if it's, for example, a bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, investigation, or a grievance that you're investigating. And you might need to think about the severity and the frequency of behavior, particularly when it comes to bullying. You always should look at the intent of the respondent. But remember, it may not be relevant to the ultimate finding in that when it comes to um, bullying and sexual harassment and harassment, the intent of the perpetrator um, is not the significant Point. It's the impact that it has on the individual that you take into consideration, although you should always look at mitigating factors because they might be important. And then you've got to think about any policy or procedure or standard or protocol or contravention um, of those fundamental procedures, protocols, standards um, when you're considering the evidence and so it's not an easy job i can assure you um but if you're following those basic headings you can't go too far wrong
1: definitely i think a, a key part of this theme i think what jumps out as a big challenge to me as somebody just listening into how investigations go assessing credibility sounds like a real challenge because i suppose the trick is there as we said in previous podcasts in our last episode you don't want to make too many judgments you have to be objective but a lot of the times it could be what they said versus what the other person said so i suppose how big of a challenge is assessing that credibility for you Link?
3: uh you're absolutely right on it's a massive challenge and particularly where you have conflicting evidence without an independent person or independent evidence to corroborate one or other account um people tell lies on um That's the reality of of society. Um, People's memory may be hazy. Um, In certain instances, as Mary has alluded to, you may have certain people within an organization for political reasons or organizational reasons or personal relationship reasons may back up a particular account, which is not correct. Um, So you really have to be very, very careful. I think it comes with expertise it comes with life experience on. I think you look at the demeanor and the body language of somebody when you're asking them questions. Can they make eye contact with you? Uh, can you credibly establish and test what they're saying? I think you probe, You, if you hear an account which you think is you know, untruthful, you try and sort of put other evidence or, or test the account and ask the person to verify their their statements. One thing which I would uh, agree with Mary on is, you know, does their account of events change as you go through the investigation process? So do do they initially give you one particular account and then it changes um, as they go through the investigation process? Or when they're questioned, um, do they contradict themselves? Um, Do they change their story? Uh, Do they change their evidence? Uh, Do they cite witnesses who come forward and say they weren't in the in the office or in the workplace on the particular date and time the incidents take place. So I think you have to take your time. Um, and I think you have to be very, very careful in terms of if you decide that on balance you believe one account over another or one person over another, you have to have a verifiable and independent basis or a rationale for doing so. And I think whether that's, you know, CCTV evidence, whether it's minutes of meetings, uh, whether it's witness statements, um, whether it's till receipts, whatever the physical or oral evidence is, you must have a basis for making the decision potentially to, to uh, find one party's evidence more credible than the other. And, you know, I think my advice to investigators in 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 that regard is trust yourself trust your instinct um trust your analytical and forensic skills in terms of the evidence and look emotionally um or look non-emotionally I beg your pardon at the evidence and sort of almost take yourself out of the investigatory process and come back and look at it with new eyes in terms of okay look what is the evidence telling me regarding the different accounts that uh, I'm hearing? Because some individuals would communicate better than others own. Some will be more persuasive than others. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person who might have slightly poor communication skills um, is telling a lie or is non-truthful. It may mean the opposite. So I think you just have to be very, very careful and use your expertise and experience as an investigator to forensically probe the evidence you're being given uh, orally at interview and if you do that and look at all the evidence typically you'll come up with the right outcome in the finish.
1: Absolutely and I think another aspect of this Mary is something that um, I think we spoke about recently is the idea of vexatious or kind of malicious complaints and um, can you talk to us a little bit more about those do they often come into workplace investigations or how do you kind of spot them?
2: They can come into workplace investigations, but it is a very tricky area. And I think you would need quite a bit of experience to look at a complaint. um, And even if that complaint is not upheld, to then go a step further and consider it malicious or vexatious. But let's start from the start, because um, I think it's important to explain what a vexatious and a malicious complaint actually is. Um, We all see it at the bottom of the um, grievance procedure, the dignity at work procedure, the disciplinary procedure, we all see um, that the company can take disciplinary action against somebody who makes a malicious or vexatious complaint. But actually, throughout the history of my career, I have never seen an employer take action on foot of what has been deemed a malicious or a vexatious complaint and why because it's tricky it's tricky for an investigator to come to that finding so let's start from the start a vexatious complaint is a complaint that has been pursued by the individual solely to harass subdue or annoy another person um typically when you have that kind of a vexatious complaint you know it's actually failing to clearly identify the substance of the complaint or the precise issues relating to the complaint usually because it's not truthful um and you know, despite the reasonable efforts of an investigator or a manager to to manage those complaints or to investigate them, um you'll often find somebody being quite evasive and difficult to track down or pin down on the various points. And sometimes with a vexatious complaint, somebody is blowing trivial matters out of all proportion and continually, raising them um but you have to be careful because just because somebody continually complains in the workplace doesn't mean that they're vexatious in raising the complaints that they have to complain about it's usually when somebody won't let something go despite it being investigated despite managers coming back and confirming um that they ha- they don't consider Their complaint to be valid or uphold it. Um, Also, when it comes to, um, you know, a way of thinking about a vexatious complaint might be to consider it as a frivolous, burdensome, unwarranted complaint, um, where the substance of it continually changes. And the complainant is constantly raising issue after issue after issue and not accepting um, the outcome from a management perspective. So in those cases, you could potentially consider a complaint to be vexatious. However, I would be very wary about doing it and you would want solid evidence, not just evidence based on the balance of probabilities, but solid evidence that somebody is deliberately putting forward a complaint uh, with the intention of harassing, annoying or subduing somebody else. When it comes to a malicious complaint, then, and they are different, They're two different uh, things, you might be able to find something vexatious, but not malicious and something malicious without it being vexatious. And um, again, a malicious complaint complaint is where somebody is deliberately seeking to defame a colleague or a manager and raising a complaint with that particular intent, where they're lying about an issue or an instant in the knowledge that this will actually cause harm um, or knowingly basing a complaint on rumour or gossip with the intention of causing harm and it being without foundation. So, you know, from an employer perspective, you know, if you really suspect that somebody is uh, raising a complaint and and the investigator highlights in their report that the complaint was made maliciously or vexatiously, um, obviously that then would be grounds for the employer to take disciplinary action following that complaint but it's rare. Uh, And I would say to people out there, be very careful. Sometimes we're asked to look at it. And unless there's clear evidence supporting that kind of a finding, I'm inclined to believe that complaints are put forward in good faith even in circumstances where those complaints have not been upheld. But that is the job of the investigator to ensure that any issue that comes before them is thoroughly examined. And if there is evidence to support uh, a finding of a malicious or vexatious complaint, that the investigator would put it in their report. They often don't. What you would normally see is the investigator put in the report that they found that the complaint even though not upheld was put forward in good faith.
1: And I think one common thread Mary and it's kind of I suppose it's the point of workplace investigations whether it be finding facts establishing facts it's that factual um, thing that keeps coming up um, finding facts establishing facts that kind of thing. I suppose that hopefully maybe more straightforward question for you Mary what's the difference between facts and inferences?
2: Yeah, so when it comes to a fact, um, you know, the fact is that you, Liam, and I are currently on this podcast, uh, recording one, uh, about the, the topic of uh, workplace investigations and evidence. That is a fact. It's supported by the fact that uh, Liam, own, and I can cite that all three of us We're on this call. It's also supported by the fact that there is a recording going out into the public domain. So it is an incontrovertible fact that that is actually happening. Um, Can we draw from the fact that the three of us are on this particular podcast that somebody is unhappy? Um, That might be an inference we make. Uh, And we might make that inference because we see somebody frowning. Not that anybody is frowning here. I know it's a serious topic that we're talking about. There's no one frowning here. There's no one looking unhappy here. And so can I equally draw the inference that we're all happy? Um, And it's, it's one of the things where I see HR people going wrong all the time because they're confused between facts, opinions, inferences um, and not sure how to document and describe them within an actual investigation report. Um, but I, I hope that's uh, not a too simple uh, a way of demonstrating what a fact and an inference might be. Yeah, and definitely. I, I think I can say I'm quite happy on this podcast today. Hopefully you too can as well. And that we're we're not drawing any inferences <laughs> in that anyone is unhappy.
1: That's an absolute fact, Mary. Don't worry. But yeah, I think we're it was important. Abor- that's it. I think it was important to ask that because it does sound quite simple. But again, as I said, Mary, it's a bit of a challenge. So no, thanks for clearing that up. Um I suppose going a little deeper, Liam, Um, can you talk to us a little about uncontested facts, contested facts, and then kind of unsubstantiated claims? I suppose it's kind of a a level beyond that isn't it
3: it is um there's no doubt there are facts and it usually breaks down that way in an investigatory process on that there are certain facts which all the parties agree on you know a conversation between you know joe blogs and mary blogs occurred in the office on x date and time um usually that we can often say is an uncontested fact. Fact, because both parties agree that a conversation took place in the office on that particular date. What is often contested facts are the nature and the context and the tone of voice that were used between Joe and Mary blogs in the office on that particular date. So it's not contested by either party that a conversation took place on that specific date and time. What is contested is the manner in which the conversation took place. So one party might say to the other, to the other, you know, the other party was behaving in an aggressive manner. Uh, the tone of the conversation was non-professional uh, and was aggressive from the start and demeaning towards the other party. And that might be completely denied. So the other party might say, well, look, we were discussing a particular situation. I was unhappy because my customer was unhappy, et cetera, et cetera. So... Very often you have then uh, one party presenting a diametrically opposed version of events to another party. And I suppose that's where your skill comes in on in terms of, you know, background checks in relation to what conversations might have occurred between the parties previously, whether there was a fraught working relationship between them, um, whether there were any witnesses, whether there's any CCTV or whether there's any independent basis of corroborating one or other version of events. And I suppose unsubstantiated claims are really claims that are made where an investigator is probably unable to substantiate the allegation. Um, So sometimes somebody might say a particular incident occurred on a particular date and time, but perhaps only they were there in the office. So you have really no basis other than you know, listening to that person's account. And in that probably example, you have come to a conclusion, I have no basis to, of coming to a finding of fact in relation to the alleged incident other than the oral evidence that is put forward by the individual who claims to be a party to the incident. So it's really important that you try and break things down. There are certain things that are factual. And as Mary has alluded to, we are all on a call. We are all, um, you know, uh, contributing to a podcast that is going to go live for Insight HR. So we can say for definite Liam Barton was in the office because Mary can confirm that. And he was on a podcast with Owen Lyons, uh, Mary Cullen and himself, you know, in around lunchtime on the 22nd of June 2022. That's factual. Uh, There's no ambiguity. It's absolutely clear. Contested facts, you know, we might say, Liam was anxious to get off the call because he was anxious to buy a birthday present for his wife. Now, we might draw an inference from that on, but, you know, that might be contestable because Liam might have already bought the birthday present. Um, So, you know, we can draw inferences from the, the conversation, but there are certain things that are unambiguous and factual. And I think the hard bit for us as investigators is the bits that are contested and the bits very often where there's, you know, XYZ versus ABC. And there's no shortcut for us as investigators. You just have to take your time, collect the evidence, probe both parties in relation to the questions. And I think that's where you will get joy. And sometimes you have to deal with unsubstantiated claims. And I won't say dismiss them on because that's the wrong thing, but really probe them and ask the person, well, you know, is there any further evidence you can provide to substantiate this claim? And that's a legitimate question, because if somebody is putting forward a claim against somebody, it's relevant and pertinent to say, well, you know, I'm not, and this is where you have to be very careful. I'm not saying you're a liar. I'm just asking you to provide more detail and more evidence so I can corroborate and substantiate your claim. Um, So you have to be careful in terms of the the way you communicate that to, to the party. But it's undeniable that there are certain things within an investigation process which would be factual and which neither party will contest. And very often people won't contest. I was there, I did have a conversation, but it didn't go the way the other party is saying. And I think that's where the skill of the investigator and the expertise will come in, in terms of trying to find mechanisms to corroborate one or other account.
1: And again, I think it's an important one to differentiate between. So thanks for that, Liam. Um, I think it adds good context I suppose then to kind of I suppose finish up the conversation really I think a key question um, and I'll ask both of yourselves I come to yourself first Mary I suppose overall then what is the kind of advice when it comes to reviewing evidence uh, any key things to look out for any kind of key advice you'd give
2: yeah so you can't objectively know um, whether you're going to uphold a complaint or not I uh, until you've carried out the investigation so whatever you think at the outset you've got to work against yourself um in terms of jumping to conclusions uh inferring things believing a certain scenario or or a set of circumstances have occurred you cannot know that until the end of the investigation, when you've analyzed the evidence, when you've looked at everything and when you've knitted and pulled it all together, um, you have to conduct an appropriate inquiry and then come to your conclusions. And it's the employer that comes to the conclusion rather than the investigator. The investigator is usually just highlighting the facts. Um, and the graver, the allegation, the higher is the degree of probability that it is required to bring home the case against the employee whose conduct ha- is in question. Um, in general, employees raise complaints in good faith. Um, it's rare that they do it in a malicious or a vexatious way. They may err, in bringing forward a complaint, but it's rarely made in bad faith. Sometimes employees' perception of something that is happening is different to the reality of what is happening. But I always like to apply a presumption that the complaint has been made in good faith and that what people are telling me is true unless there's evidence that supports something different. and you have to satisfy yourself as far as possible um, to the falsity or otherwise of anything that anyone is saying, uh, or the truthfulness of anything that anyone has said to you, or or the direction that they have pointed you in. Um, And you do have to distinguish between employees who raise genuine concerns uh, and those who are being intentionally difficult. And in a workplace investigation, you get those people in abundance and you can be surprised by where you might meet resistance where you might meet difficulty who you might encounter um, that is unhelpful or unwilling to participate or difficult in the approach that they take but even if they are Your job is not to be irritated by that. Your job is simply to find the facts. Uh, It's not easy, but uh, it takes a lot of challenging of yourself so that no matter how much you like the person who's sitting in front of you or how much you dislike the person sitting in front of you, um, that you're clear about your role, which is there simply to establish the facts and to ensure that for instance if somebody's position or or contract of employment might be terminated on foot of the findings of your report that you take due care and time to ensure that you've established facts um, that if you're going on the balance of probability that you have good reason for believing one person over another person or believing one set of evidence more than another set of evidence um, and my best advice is it's a serious job take it seriously and take your time
1: absolutely I think from yourself Liam there anything to add I suppose with general advice for reviewing evidence I know Mary's given quite a, a number of good pieces of advice there
3: yeah, I'd echo 100% on what what Owen or what Mary has has said, and I think, you know, be impartial, be independent, be neutral, but don't forget the human element. And the human element is, as Mary has just pointed out, someone's job could potentially be on the line, and that person may be paying a mortgage, have you know financial commitments. So it's very very important that you weigh the evidence very very carefully. very independently and very impartially and you're very much dealing when you come to the end of your process facts not opinions very much facts and, and and be factual in terms of setting out what you know to be facts and don't be afraid to say i'm unable to come to a finding in relation to abc because you know there's insufficient evidence so i think it takes a calm demeanor and and substance from the the investigator to be able to set out very clearly what are facts and what are unambiguous and what are proven and what is not necessarily proven. And I think not to allow yourself to feel you have to say things within the investigation report to, to, to sort of be strong enough and independent enough to be able to say these are the facts These are what is absolutely proven. And here are the gray areas which I have not been able to come to a conclusion or a finding on. And I think that's very, very important because I think sometimes investigators feel pressurized. They feel almost obligated um, because I've been engaged by a third party. I have to set out X, Y, Z. You don't. You are there to investigate within the terms of reference and to come to findings of fact in relation to what has occurred And that is your role. And I would urge investigators to understand your role and not be pressurized into going beyond the scope or the remit of your role. And certainly reports that Mary and I would have read in the past, we would have read reports were carried out by other organizations or within uh, organizations where an investigator has gone totally beyond the terms of reference for the process and has ended up throwing in their own opinions and their own thought processes, where it was actually a fact-finding investigation. So I think you have to be careful, as as Mary said, to limit yourself and to be able to say, well, I'm going to stick solely to the terms of reference and solely to what I can set out factually and what I can stand over. And I think sometimes, for whatever reason, investigators feel pressurized to say a little bit more and throw a little bit more in. And I don't think I, I think that's a mistake one, and I don't think they should do that.
2: Absolutely. Less is more. And also, you know, it's not only those who might potentially lose their job from these investigations. There are people who allege things, um, maybe around bullying, harassment and sexual harassment. And, you know, they can be very distressed during the process because they believe something Is happening to them. Um, And when it comes to workplace investigations, the stakes are high. Uh, As I said earlier in this uh, podcast, nobody's happy. Um, And often people are determined to clear their name, uh, prove their point, um, be right. And so there's a level of, I suppose, managing all of that, as well as, you know, doing the, your level best to document the entire process as best you can in a succinct way and in as well written a way as you can possibly do.
1: Absolutely. And look, I hope that's gone another part of the way to, to help alleviate some of the worries, some of the queries and some of the questions around workplace investigations. Um, and that's it for part two. Um, our next assignment will be about workplace investigation reports which again as we've alluded to there's a lot to it so we look forward to that but thank you Mary and Liam for a very insightful discussion today about um, reviewing the evidence obviously key part of workplace investigation so hopefully that really did help and uh, thank you obviously to everyone for listening we'll catch you next week for the next summer to our podcast so don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic and as always for HR consultancy services and management you can trust in touch with us today at InsideHR.ie. Thank you, Liam, and thank you, Mary. Thanks, Owen.
0: Thank you, all. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Inside HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.